Pack your bags, it's time to visit Las Vegas, America's capital for fun and entertainment. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Hello again and welcome to Vegas Never Sleeps. I'm Stephen Maggi. On today's show, we go back in time to discuss perhaps the number one sport in Las Vegas. Now, no, it's not hockey yet. It's not football or basketball either. No, boxing is still king in Vegas. Today, we're fortunate enough to have perhaps the best boxing writer in America, Jeffrey Sussman, discussing great boxers from the early days of the sport, even before it reached Las Vegas. Later in the show, you'll learn about a place in Vegas to see classic cars, but not Ferraris and Porsches. Now, the great autos came from Detroit, and at Nostalgia Street Rods, you can learn about Fords and Chevys and see great artifacts from the 20th century from a family that has lived in Vegas for decades. All that, plus we touch base with Las Vegas Review Journal writer Steve Karp to check in on the progress of the Vegas Golden Knights. After all, the newest NHL franchise opens up for business this fall. And our Vegas insider, VitalVegas.com's Scott Robin, discusses the importance of conventions in modern-day Las Vegas. When you think of Las Vegas and you think of sports, well, maybe nowadays you're thinking about ice hockey and the possibility of football, but the one sport that's really associated with Las Vegas is boxing, and as such, we want to go back to some of the early history of boxing, which started well before matches came up in Las Vegas and so forth, and they were in big cities like New York. We're fortunate enough today to have one of the finest boxing writers alive, Jeffrey Sussman, who's put out a fascinating book about a couple of names that were big in the early part of the 20th century, Max Baer and Barney Ross, Jewish heroes of boxing. And Jeffrey, first of all, thanks so much for joining us today. And I got to ask you, uh, back in that time, boxing was really an out for Jewish people that were in ghettos at that time, trying to get out of there and uh, really make uh, live the American dream. Absolutely. A lot of people don't realize it that, but from about 1910 to 1941, there were more than uh, 600 Jewish boxers, and probably two dozen of them became champions in various weight divisions. Yeah, and again, Max Baer is a name people are going to remember, but probably the reason they're going to remember it is his son, who played Jethro on the Beverly Hillbillies. But Max Baer was a huge star. I want to kind of go with each one of these guys. Now, first of all, Max Baer... Wasn't he uh, famous at the time for actually somebody dying in the ring? That's how tough he was? Well, one of his early fights was against a man named uh, Frankie Campbell, whose real name was uh, Francesco uh, uh, Camilli, um, whose brother, Adolph Camilli, was a famous baseball player in the 1940s. But uh, Frankie Campbell had changed his name because there was a certain amount of prejudice against Italians, uh, in Northern California at that time. And uh, Max Baer had an intense fight with him, and the people in uh, Frankie's corner were, were uh, insulting Max, calling him a lot of names and so forth, and it enraged Max. And he went after Frankie Campbell and hit him really uh, quite hard, and as a result of that, uh, Frankie Campbell died. But uh, Max Baer felt so badly about this that he didn't fight for the next six months, and then um, the six subsequent fights that he had, he donated all the money from those fights to Frankie Campbell's widow. 
And as Frankie Campbell's children grew, he helped to pay for his children to go to college. So uh, even though he had killed this person, he was uh, driven by his own conscience to try to make up for it as best that he possibly could. Yeah, and Max Baer, you know, you talk about a heavyweight champion. He was everything you thought a heavyweight champion should be in those days. I mean, the women loved him, right? He was a big star across the country. He, he, he was uh, very handsome. He had a body like Tarzan. There was a, uh, a boxing writer in the 1930s named Nat Fleischer who wrote a book about him called The Glamour Boy of the Ring uh, because he was so glamorous. And he, uh, when he was in New York, he was dating uh, famous actresses, showgirls, models, uh, and he was in all the gossip columns. He, he was really quite a ladies' man and quite a celebrity. He was, he was as uh, uh, celebrated in his day as Muhammad Ali was in his. Well, you know, and when you talk about him and Barney Ross, I guess, too, were they treated in the same way in the Jewish community as, say, Joe Lewis was in the African-American community? I think so. You, you know, uh, Max Baer fought uh, Hitler's favorite boxer, Max Schmeling, in 1933 in Yankee Stadium. And 60,000 people attended that fight, and probably about half of them were, were Jewish boxing fans. Mm-hmm. And when uh, and, and, and Max uh, Bear fought with a, a Jewish star stitched onto his boxing trunks. And when he, uh, he beat uh, Max Schmeling, uh, all the Jews in the stadium stood up and cheered. Uh, they, they had found a hero. And, and, and not only did they find a hero, but they found a hero who had defeated uh, Hitler's favorite boxer, a guy who uh, the Nazis thought of as a Superman. Again, Max Bear, you know, in the movie Cinderella Man, they kind of make him look almost like a bad guy in that thing. But then that's why I think your book is so interesting. You know, that that was for that particular film. But in reality, this guy was a real hero to a lot, not just the Jewish community, but a lot of people. A, a lot of people. And he was a very decent, very nice person. I, I uh, spent a lot of time speaking with Max Baer Jr. on the telephone. And um, he was very upset at the portrayal of his father in, in the movie uh, Cinderella Man, because he wasn't at all like that. He, he, was a, he was a kind man. He was a very generous man. He was a very thoughtful man. He, he was very good to his family and, and, and very generous to other people who, who relied on his generosity. And it, it just seemed as if they needed to portray a villain in, in the movie Cinderella Man. So they made Max Bear into a, a villain, and they made uh, Jimmy Braddock, his opponent, into a good guy. In, 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 in reality, Max Baer was not at all like the character portrayed in the movie. See, and that's why these books are important, because people see those things. It was a good film, right? But you lose track of what really happens, and that myth that's written there to make the movie more interesting gets taken over as history. So that's why this is so important. That, 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 that's right. I mean, uh, you know, Max Baer uh, did so much for so many people, you, you, you know, when he died, 5,000 uh, people showed up for his funeral, and all the pallbearers at, at his uh, funeral were former heavyweight fighters whom he had fought, and, 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 and they loved him. They thought he was just the most wonderful person in the world. And, um, you, you know, when uh, uh, he, beat, he beat Primo Carnera um, for the heavyweight championship, and... Um, Primo Carnera was pretty badly beaten after that fight. He had a broken jaw and a broken rib and a, and a broken bone in his arm. And the people that uh, managed Primo Carnera abandoned him after that because they figured he wasn't a meal ticket for them anymore. 
And and Max Baer paid for all of Primo Carnera's uh, hospital bills. And when Max Baer died, uh, Primo Carnera was in Italy, and he flew to California the next week. And he had his driver take him to the cemetery where Max Baer is buried. And it was at night, and the cemetery was locked. And Primo and his driver uh, climbed over the fence of the cemetery. And when they found the grave, Primo Carnera knelt down, crossed himself, said a prayer, and then said to his driver that that Max Baer was one of the best friends he ever had. Incredible story. Now, Max came actually from Northern California. Different story about Barney Ross. He came from that New York ghetto that we were talking about before. And, of course, he wasn't a heavyweight. He was a, uh, what, a welterweight and a lightweight champion. Is that right? Yeah, he held three titles simultaneously, the the welterweight, the lightweight, and and the super lightweight. He he was originally born um, on the Lower East Side of New York, and his father was a rabbi who couldn't make a living there. And he moved the family to Chicago uh, in a a ghetto area called the Maxwell Street Ghetto in Chicago. And uh, his father opened a grocery, a very small grocery store there. And one day, uh, when Barney was about 15 years old, uh, two thieves came into the uh, grocery store and uh, shot his father and killed him. Uh, uh, Barney's uh, mother, as a result of that, had a nervous breakdown, and Barney's three siblings were sent into a uh, in, into foster homes. Uh, Barney began uh, running around with a street gang at the time, and one of his closest friends in this gang was a, a kid named Jacob Rubenstein who we later uh, know as Jack Ruby, the man who uh, shot and killed uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. And uh, they both worked as runners for Al Capone. And they became friendly with with Al Capone. And Al told uh, Jack Ruby, you know, you're cut out uh, to to be a a mob guy. But but he said to uh, Barney, you're not. But I've seen you as a street fighter, and I think you could be a very good boxer. And he uh, he helped to um, uh, further Barney's career. Back with more from Jeffrey Sussman, author of Max Baer and Barney Ross, Jewish Heroes of Boxing, in just a few moments. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. World-class hotels, dining, gaming, special events, and more. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. I'm here with Logan Reed, my own personal business coach that does so much more than just business. Logan, do you find that people come to you thinking about business and ended up leaving where it's really about their entire life? That's actually a great question because what I find is that people often come to me and ask, am I a business coach, am I a career coach, am I a life coach? And I say, I don't care what you call me because when you change any part of your life, so if we're talking about your career or your relationship, it's going to change everything. So when we make changes in one part, it touches every part of our life. So how do we get involved? How do we get more information about about you and what you're doing? Sure. You can give me a call at 360-529-1848 or email me at logan at loganreadcoaching.com. And you can also check out my website if you want to learn more about me at loganreadcoaching.com. 
Waste management has earth-friendly plans that fit the biggest corporations and recycling programs to help smaller companies get started. We're there for you every night and on the job with you every day. When you put waste management to work, you get an environmental partner and big ideas for every size business. From everyday collection to environmental protection, think green, think waste management. To learn more, visit WM.com. Forgotten Heroes, the independent film that Hollywood refused to distribute. They were asked to risk their lives in order to save their enemy. The producers of Forgotten Heroes are donating 25% of all sales to the American Veterans Disabled for Life Memorial Fund. We need someone to go in there and bring them out. From first-time director Jack Marino, the home run for America's Vietnam veteran. They are Forgotten Heroes. Buy the DVD now at ForgottenHeroesTheMovie.com. That's ForgottenHeroesTheMovie.com. Dear Daddy, dear Mom, I love you. I miss you. I'm proud to call you my father. Every year, Snowball Express honors the children of our fallen military. Heroes who made the ultimate sacrifice for our nation. Hi, everybody. I'm Tony Orlando. Did you know that more than 8,500 children have lost a parent in military service since 9-11? Our soldiers died fighting for our freedom, and their children, they continue to suffer the loss. Join me in proudly supporting Snowball Express, a nonprofit charity that creates opportunities to help heal the children of our fallen heroes. Their year-long efforts culminate in a special week of fun, friendship, and hope. We can never fully express the gratitude for the ultimate sacrifice our soldiers have made, but we can honor them by giving back to their children. Please, you join me? Donate now at snowballexpress.org. It's our last errand today, Jimmy. Just need to pick up some light bulbs. Whoa, there's so many. Did Grandma tell you which ones to buy? No, but check out the label on this package. It'll help us find the right bulbs. Does it really matter? Well, sure. The new light bulbs use a lot less energy, so we save money on our electric bill by using an energy-saving incandescent, CFL, or LED. How about this bulb? Well, let's see. We need to replace the 60-watt bulbs in our bedside lamps. That one is 800 lumens, so it should do the trick. I've never heard of lumens. Lumens tell us how bright the light is. The more lumens, the brighter the bulb. You know, Grandpa, you're a pretty bright guy. <laughs> yeah, you're pretty smart yourself, Jimmy. Lumens, the new way to shop for light. Learn more at energysavers.gov. That's energysavers.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Energy. We return to Vegas Never Sleeps. Here's Stephen Maggi. You are listening to Jeffrey Sussman, author of the new book, Max Baer and Barney Ross, Jewish Heroes of Boxing. And we were just discussing how Ross became a boxer thanks to Al Capone. So, Jeffrey, how was Capone able to help Ross? By, by getting a trainer for him and, and, and arranging for him to have a lot of amateur bo- uh, boxing matches. And uh, ultimately, when uh, Barney became a professional, Al Capone made sure that all the tickets for uh, Barney's fights were sold because Barney got a portion of, of the uh, proceeds from those ticket sales. And he finally made enough money so he was able to buy a home 
and take his mother out of a mental institution and bring his uh, three siblings back together and, and, and put them all into one house. Uh, and, and that had been his ambition uh, since the death of his father. And he had told this to Al Capone, and Al Capone said, well, we'll make it happen. Don't worry about it. Well, and you point out in the book, I think it's important, that Ross had a chip on his shoulder, and that kind of drove him throughout his career. Absolutely. And Ross had had a, um, a trilogy of fights with a, a fighter named Jimmy McLarnon, who was known as the Jew Killer, because he had defeated uh, six Jewish boxers prior to fighting um, Barney Ross. And uh, the, the Jewish community was very upset that, that there, there was this guy out there who was known as the Jew Killer. And um, in, in their first match, uh, uh, Barney beat uh, Jimmy McLarnon. In, in the second match, Jimmy beat Barney. And in the third match, uh, B- uh, Barney uh, de- defeated uh, Jimmy McLarnon. Jimmy's manager, uh, a guy named Pop Foster, was so upset that uh, Barney won this last uh, of their three fights that he tried to sue to have the decision overturned. And he went into court and he told the judge that the, uh, the decision should be thrown out because one of the judges in the fight was Jewish, and Jack Dempsey, who was the referee, had a Jewish grandmother. And... The uh, the judge laughed the case out of court. He he, t- yeah. he told Pop Foster, "Don't be ridiculous. This is silly." Wow, and you know, interestingly enough, he was also a war hero. In fact, at Guadalcanal, he killed more than twenty Japanese soldiers. And uh, but he had some um, some problems even with that because he won the Silver Star. But didn't he feel that he was getting? Uh, he he should have even gotten more accolades and so forth. And it was uh, really a government that they didn't want that to happen. Exactly. I mean, I mean, he. Um, it saved the life of a fellow Marine when they were out on a, a patrol, and, and he destroyed a complete Japanese platoon of, uh, of uh, soldiers um, and, and was badly wounded in the process. And he was given the Silver Star in the Rose Garden of the White House by uh, President Roosevelt, but a lot of people felt that uh, for his courage and, and, and for saving the life of a fellow Marine and defeating a uh, completely wiping out a Japanese platoon, he should have been given the Congressional Medal of Honor. And a lot of people felt that he didn't get that award simply because they didn't want to give it to a uh, someone who was Jewish at the time. Well, you know, and anti-Semitism and the whole idea kind of goes through this book in the sense that, like, you talk about uh, Schmeling and McLarnon, right? But, right. you know, and it, they weren't anti-Semites, but yet they were put in the, they were put in that role because there was so much anti-Semitism around. I guess really internationally at that time. Well, ex- exactly. I mean, Max Schmeling was far from an anti-Semite. As a matter of fact, during a famous uh, night in uh, Nazi Germany known as Kristallnacht, when the Nazi Party w- was encouraged to uh, go out and uh, burn Jewish stores and beat up uh, Jews on the street. Max Schmeling hid uh, a number of Jewish teenagers in his apartment in, 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 in Berlin. And his manager, uh, a guy named Joe Jacobs, was Jewish. And when Hitler demanded that uh, Schmeling fire him because he didn't want him to have a Jewish manager, Schmeling refused, uh, which, which was, took a lot of courage uh, yeah. for someone to, to not follow through on what Hitler demanded of him. Even if you're not a huge boxing fan, you'll find this fascinating because it really talks about that entire time, particularly the beginning, you know, as I say, the beginning and middle of the uh, 20, uh, 20th century. Now, as a boxing expert, uh, Jeffrey, as you see stuff now, and of course, 
in Vegas, we see it all the time. You know, all the big fights are here. First of all, you don't see a lot of Jewish fighters, and that's just something where the culture just has kind of changed, right? Where it's just not a part of it anymore. Exactly. I mean, m- most of the uh, the great Jewish fighters were the sons of very, very poor immigrants, and 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 if you had a father who was making, uh, you know, maybe five dollars a, a, a week. Uh, working in a, a garment factory, and you could earn thirty-five dollars in one night in, in a fight. Uh, you could earn in a month a lot more than your father was earning, and and so it became something very attractive to do. And and even with Max Bear, who grew up on a, a ranch in Northern California, his father was paying him thirty-five cents a night to uh, go out and slop pigs. Yeah. <laughs> and after he had his first fight. Uh, he, he met a, a man named Ansel Hoffman, who became his manager, and, and he said, you know, you can earn 50 bucks a fight, uh, uh, which is far more than he was earning um, uh, slopping pigs for his father. So, you know, boxing for these uh, uh, Jewish athletes in the 1920s and 30s became a way of uh, growing out of poverty, as, as boxing has been for uh, a number of different groups. Right. And, and baseball was to a certain extent, too, right? I mean, I think of Koufax, Hank Greenberg. There were quite a few stars that came uh, as well. Oh, there, there were a number of uh, you know, famous Jewish uh, baseball players, but, but they really dominated the world of boxing yeah. up, up, up until uh, 1941. And, uh, in fact, a, a close friend of my father's, uh, a man named Abe Simon, was probably the last of the great Jewish boxers. He, w- he was a heavyweight boxer who fought uh, Joe Lewis twice for the title in 1940 and 41 and lost both times, and, and then went on to have a brief career as, as, as a movie actor. But, but he, too, came from a, uh, a poor immigrant background, and uh, boxing was a way of uh, uh, earning a lot of money. As a boxing expert, Jeffrey, as you look at today, what do you think of boxing today? It's obviously not the uh, premier sport that it was back then, at least in terms of you know grabbing the attention of the press. There's a lot of other sports now that get quite quite a bit more uh, talk. But at the same time, uh, do you see it as a sport that we're going to see going on and on, or do you think things like MMA and that kind of thing have really diluted it to the point that it becomes almost a secondary sport? Well, I, I think it will continue to be a sport. I, I mean, it, it, it's the only kind of violent sport that that's still uh, part of the Olympics. You know, you're not going to see um, uh, kickboxing and, 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 and more brutal sports as, 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 as part of the Olympics. Boxing still takes uh, a, a great deal of skill, and, 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 and the really great boxers knew how to avoid being badly hurt in, 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 in this sport. When you look at uh, at other violent sports, being hurt is 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 part of what happens to you in in in, in those sports. But but if you're uh, a, a very smart boxer, generally you can avoid uh, serious damage to yourself. Back with final thoughts from Jeffrey Sussman, author of Max Bear and Barney Ross: Jewish Heroes of Boxing. In just a moment, you are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. From the famous to the fascinating, in a climate as fun, fast, and flashy as Las Vegas, this is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. 
you'd never suspect that you could find natural beauty as part of a working landfill. You can. Today, waste management landfills provide more than 17,000 acres of protected land for wildlife habitats. Working closely with communities and the Wildlife Habitat Council, we can ensure there will be protected space for native animal and plant life to thrive. From everyday collection to environmental protection, think green, think waste management. With all the talk of fake news today, it's getting harder to know who to trust. Thousands of websites, millions of opinions, even the mainstream media has gotten caught in dishonest reporting. Now, if you're looking for information you can trust, why don't you try westernfreepress.com. At Western Free Press, they let you know where they stand and you can judge for yourself. No fake news, no feigned objectivity, just straight news and strong opinion. That's westernfreepress.com. Hello? Lisa, it's Janet. What's wrong? Oh, it's just the bridesmaids' dresses for Lindsay's wedding. Oh, no, tell me they're not fuchsia. Oh, they're not fuchsia. Then what? Oh, they're gaudy, aren't they? All ruffles and lace. <laughs> Great. We'll look like a chorus line. No, no, no. They're really quite simple. It's the material I'm most concerned about. Oh, I knew it. I specifically said no chiffon. I mean, it's so passe. I just don't it's think... It's not chiffon. Then what? They're made out of old yellow pages. What? I didn't catch that. It sounded like you said they're made out of old yellow pages. Yep. I'm afraid you heard right. It's got something to do with recycling and good karma on her wedding day. Oh, that's special. I'm not going to know whether a guy's checking me out or just looking for the number of a good mechanic. Funny. Very funny. There's a better way to recycle your outdated Dex phone books. Find out just how easy we've made it in your neighborhood. Call 1-877-2-GET-DEX or log on to DexNose.com. Dear Daddy. Dear Mom. I love you. I miss you. Every year, Snowball Express honors the children of fallen soldiers. Hi, everybody. I'm Tony Orlando. Join me in proudly supporting Snowball Express, a nonprofit that creates opportunities to help heal the children of our fallen heroes. We can never repay the sacrifice our soldiers have made, but we can honor them by giving back to their children. Donate now at SnowballExpress.org. My son Casey was a bright, fearless 20-year-old with a boundless future ahead of him. But in the blink of an eye, he was gone. While out riding a skateboard, Casey fell. He was not wearing a helmet. Our whole family wishes he was. It could have saved his life. I'm Captain Kevin Raffelli of the San Mateo Police Department. Parents, encourage your kids to strap on a helmet every time they jump on a bike, scooter, or skateboard. Think of my son Casey and use your head. Put a helmet on. It could save your life. A message from the Consumer Product Safety Commission. I had a sore in my mouth that just wouldn't go away. And after a couple of weeks, I went to my doctor. A sore, lump, or thick patch in your mouth or throat could be a symptom of oral cancer. My doctor told me I was smart to come in. He said that oral cancer is more common in African-American men than in any other group in the U.S. It turns out I did have oral cancer. But it was caught early and my treatment was successful. I'm glad I got it checked. That probably saved my life. If you're an African-American man, you need to know about oral cancer. Visit a doctor or dentist if you see changes in your mouth that don't go away after two weeks. It's important to get an oral cancer exam because if you do have cancer, the earlier it's caught, the better. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health.
And now, more Vegas Never Sleeps. Here's Stephen Maggi once again. We are chatting with Jeffrey Sussman, author of Max Baer and Barney Ross, Jewish Heroes of Boxing. We were just talking about how boxing is certainly a violent sport, but for some great fighters, it can be a sport with limited injury. You know, there was a famous uh, Jewish boxer before uh, the First World War named uh, Benny Leonard, Mm -hmm. and he was considered one of the first scientific boxers. And it was said that after he finished a bout, not a hair on his head was out of place uh, because he was so clever at avoiding being hit while at the same time being able to uh, beat his opponents. Wow, that's sort of like Ali. Obviously, uh, the damage was done later in his life, but, you know, where they used to say, you know, he didn't get hurt, it sounds a little like that. Well, Ali initially was like that. Uh, You know, it was later in his career that that he, uh, you know, got banged around quite a bit, but you know, early in his career, when you look at some of his uh, early fights with, um, you, you know, uh, uh, Joe Frazier and others, you know, he he was really uh, uh, terrific at learning how to uh, or knowing how to avoid being uh, badly hurt by an opponent. And, you know, when you talk about these boxers back in the days of Max Baer and Barney Ross, they, there's a lot more restrictions on how long a fight can go and that kind of thing. Uh, those fights in those days, as I recall, could go rounds and rounds. I mean, it's amazing they were able to do it. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the, there were rules then that uh, uh, permitted boxers to, to, to do certain kinds of things that you're not allowed to do uh, and, and anymore. I mean, if, if, if you look at some of uh, Max Spears uh, fights on YouTube, <clears throat> you'll, you'll see that he can grab an opponent with his left hand at on the back of his neck, and, and then hit him with his with his uh, right fist. You're not allowed to hold an, an, an opponent like that now, and 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 continue to pummel him. And and and, and also now, if if someone is knocked down uh, three times uh, in one round, uh, you know the, the fight is going to be over. They're not going to let someone be killed right. uh, uh, in a, in a round. Well, if you love boxing today, you really need to read this book. You've got to understand where this all comes from. It's a fascinating book. It's called Max Bear and Barney Ross, Jewish Heroes of Boxing. And, Jeffrey, let's tell people how they can get a copy of that book. Well, the, the book is available on um, any of the uh, book online retail uh, sites, such as Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com and various others. Well, we'll go check that out. Thanks so much for being with us, Jeffrey. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Up next, the subject is Amazing Cars from the Past. You know, when you visit Las Vegas, there's plenty of great museums, and you can go all over time from the early days of Vegas through the mobster days and so forth. Well, there's another great place that you really want to visit there if you like cars. And, of course, I do. And it's called Nostalgia Street Rods. Really interesting place. It's a private collection of automobiles back from 1910 to 1965. And with us is the curator, Sherry Goldstrom-Harris. So welcome, Sherry. Nostalgia Street Rods. What gave you uh, the idea of putting something like this together in a place where people are looking for all kinds of entertainment? Well, my parents um, gave me the idea several years ago because they are probably one of the biggest collectors in the state. And it's a private collection, so nobody really knew what they collected except for, you know, the immediate family. And um, as I was growing up, I, you know, began to learn about this collection. 
And I wanted to show people what my parents thought was cool to collect. So I, with along with my dad's help, you know, we built these um, museums that we have. And it started out as a fun thing to build it for a place to house all his cars because he's been collecting cars since he's been, I think, about 16. Mm-hmm. But so we just built the collections, and I wanted to show people, you know, what they thought was cool to collect. And well, I think it's a cool collection, and it's a little different. As curator, it must be uh, an important thing, because there are places across the country, even I know Bill Hara has a famous collection and so forth, and there's various places around the, the nation that do this. What is it, do you think, that makes this particular collection some a must-see for people that are visiting Las Vegas? Well, what I, what I see when I put these collections together, I just thought it was really neat how there's just not one thing that they collected. They collected numerous amounts of things and what you see when you come to our place is only about 60 percent of you know of our collection back with more from sherry goldstrom harris of nostalgia street rods in just a moment you are listening to vegas never sleeps with stephen maggie Check us out on Twitter and at twitter.com forward slash Vegas Never Sleeps. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. You may not realize it, but there's a source of renewable energy right in your neighborhood, and you're helping to power it. Today, waste management is using the resources at our disposal to create energy from waste. Enough green energy to power over one million homes. It's an idea we're proud to drive forward. From everyday collection to environmental protection. Think green. Think waste management. Forgotten Heroes, the independent film that Hollywood refused to distribute. They were asked to risk their lives in order to save their enemy. The producers of Forgotten Heroes are donating 25% of all sales to the American Veterans Disabled for Life Memorial Fund. We need someone to go in there and bring them out. From first-time director Jack Marino, the home run for America's Vietnam veterans. They are Forgotten Heroes. Buy the DVD now at ForgottenHeroesTheMovie.com. That's ForgottenHeroesTheMovie.com. Are you looking to save money on your prescription medications? Are your prescription costs too high? Are you paying out of pocket for your meds? Or is your copay too high? Well, if you answered yes to any of these questions, you've got to check out the RX Cut free prescription discount card. And getting your free discount card is easy. All you do is go to the website RxCutDiscounts.com. The free RX Cut prescription discount card allows you to get significant discounts on either brand name or generic prescription medications, and it also works on meds with high copays. There are no fees, no forms, no personal information needed, and the cards are active immediately. Discount cards are also good for the entire family, and they never expire. Again, to get your free discount cards, visit rxcutdiscounts.com. You may get the free discount card either by U.S. mail, email, text, or simply print out the discount card online. 
I'm here with Logan Reed, my own personal business coach that does so much more than just business. Logan, do you find that people come to you thinking about business and ended up leaving where it's really about their entire life? That's actually a great question because what I find is that people often come to me and ask, am I a business coach? Am I a career coach? Am I a life coach? And I say, I don't care what you call me because when you change any part of your life, so if we're talking about your career or your relationship, it's going to change everything. So when we make changes in one part, it touches every part of our life. So how do we get involved? How do we get more information about about you and what you're doing? Sure. You can give me a call at 360-529-1848 or email me at logan at loganreadcoaching.com. And you could also check out my website if you want to learn more about me at loganreadcoaching.com. You may be hearing about people having trouble making mortgage payments and risking losing their homes. Many of them just aren't aware of the options that can prevent foreclosure. There are many options available to homeowners, such as repayment and forbearance plans, loan modifications, and even refinancing. Where does someone go for help? They should talk directly with their lender or a qualified HUD-approved counseling agency. Both can provide helpful information without charging a fee. According to PMI Mortgage Insurance Company, it's not a good idea to pay for services that you can get for free from a lender or a qualified nonprofit counseling agency. To learn more, visit homesafepmi.com or call HUD at 1-800-569-4287 for a counseling agency near you. That's 1-800-569-4287. This message is brought to you by PMI, supporting sustainable home ownership that strengthens communities. Time for more Vegas Never Sleeps. Again, here's your host, Stephen Maggi. You are listening to Sherry Goldstrom Harris of Nostalgia Street Rods, which features, among a lot of artifacts, many cars that range from 1910 to 1965. Immediately, you notice how different the styling was from today. Now all the cars look very similar. You know, they're either an SUV type and they all have the same kind of dynamics and so forth. But back then, you really see different ways that people enjoyed the transportation and so forth. I, I think it's just a great way to visit, you know, early and mid and even late 20th century. Yes, it is. It's, it's, it's just, it's so interesting when you, you know, when you go look at these vehicles and you like the 1910 Sears car, I mean, it's really amazing when you sit and you actually look in it and it drove into our museum. So it was quite the thing to see. And then if you, you know, go to, you know, the 65 that we have or the 68 Nova, it's just, it's just amazing how they change. And now today, what the way our cars are. And the, the thing that I think is really cool is how things are coming back, you know, different things. And you see that when you're in this museum, you, you see that some of the things from back in the old days are coming back a little bit, just, just different things, you know? Yeah. Now are the cars primarily Chevy and Ford. Is that right? Yes, they're all Chevy and Ford. And I think that's particularly interesting, Sherry, because when you think about the real American cars, I think Chevrolet and Ford probably, of all the cars that are made in this country, are the two that really represent 
you know, mainstream America. So, again, another great look at the culture of our country through that period. Yep, my mom loved the Chevys and my dad loved the Fords. And, you know, it's we used to give my dad a hard time because he's like a total Ford man, but yet some of his cars have Chevy engines. <laughs> well, that's really cool stuff. By the way, you are an interesting person because I don't know if people picked up on it. You drove the big trucks. In fact, I understand... Uh, you started with, uh, with a Peterbilt, right? I mean, that that's not an easy that twin-stick Peterbilt from the late 60s? Wow. I did. It, it actually was my brother's truck, and I learned how to drive it. And, uh, you know, I, I had to start at the bottom, too. And my dad, uh, you know, would give me a newer truck every few years, you know. And I finally, my last truck was an 84 Pete, and uh, I loved it. Still do love the truck. Still got my CDL. Um very, very much into the trucks, more than most girls would would or would ever be, you know. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, and I think people are going to want to get out there. They want to take a look at it. So let's tell them how to do it. Now, you deal primarily through tours, right? So how does it work? If we, When people are planning a trip to Vegas, do they get a time in advance, or how does it go? Well, first of all, um, we give three tours a day, and that's Monday through Friday, and it's 10, noon, and 2. And the cost of that tour is $20. But if you want to do a VIP tour ever, which is an experience with my dad, um, you get a free T-shirt with that. It costs 50 bucks, And then he just goes around and he takes you and he starts the cars and he does all this fun, amazing stuff. And you get to hear right from him exactly where it all began and how it went down. And um, we can do those tours on the off hours. Or if you have a group or a party and you want to come on the weekends, we do do weekend tours. Um, it's just in advance, and you have to pay for them. Uh, and that's that's how you do it. You just visit us on the web at you know www.nostalgiastreetrides.com, and you can come anytime Monday through Friday on those three tours, or you can just give us a call and we'll put your name down. And we'd sure love to. We love to give tours, and we have a great tour guide. Her name is Suzette, and usually. Uh, you go out of there rolling, laughing, because she's uh, quite the character. Well, Sherry, we can't wait. I mean, I think, yeah, you know, for the the casual fan, they're going to have a blast. I think that uh, one-on-one with your dad sounds incredible to me. I mean, if you're one of these real car lovers, it, it would be a lot of a lot of fun for that. All And a great place for an event. So we'll remind people again, you go to NostalgiaStreetRods.com. It's a place... On your next visit to Las Vegas, you really want to consider adding it. It's something to see. It's really well worth it. Uh, where exactly are you in terms of compared to the Strip and so forth, Sherry? We're just a couple miles from the Strip. We're actually um, west of the Mandalay Bay, and we are um, south of the Orleans Hotel. So we're right in that little corridor there. Sherry, thanks so much. We really enjoyed having you on, and uh, hopefully we'll have you on again. Thank you so much, and you guys have a nice day. Time to check out now what's going on with the Vegas hockey team. Their name is the Vegas Golden Knights, Las Vegas's very first professional sports team that starts playing in the fall of this year. With us is the beat writer for the Las Vegas Review-Journal, Steve Karp. Now, Steve, we know the Knights have a new general manager. Tell us about him and what's going on with the team. Well, first of all, George McPhee was a guy who needed a job, having been let go by the Capitals a couple of years before. And so he was highly motivated, and he had a very good uh, record of success. He didn't win a Stanley Cup, but he, he puts some very good teams on the ice in Washington, 
and made them a winner and turned them around at the box office. When he took over, they were one of the worst franchises in the league. They were playing at the old Capitol Center out of Landover, Maryland when he took over. And then when they moved downtown to the Verizon Center, by then they were winning and they uh, they were packing them in. And it turned out that uh, their success on and off the ice made them a very uh, solid franchise in the NHL. So uh, Bill Foley, the owner of the Vegas team, was looking for an experienced person, someone with a track record of success. And George was definitely on that short list. So uh, it did not surprise me. Since he took over, he has built, in about two months, he's added about 30 people to the hockey operations staff, from scouts to director of player development to a capologist to an analytics guy uh, to an office manager, a gal who worked for him in Washington. She coordinates everything. And, you know, guys like that are very important because you got to keep track of a lot of people, what they're doing on a daily basis. And, and then she can report to George what's going on. So uh, they've hired some really quality hockey people, uh, not the least of which was the assistant general manager, Kelly McCrimmon. You can read Steve Karp's coverage of the Vegas Golden Knights every day in the Las Vegas Review-Journal. When we come back, your Vegas insider, Scott Robin, joins us to discuss conventions. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Is there something you've always wanted to know about Las Vegas? Drop us a line at info at VegasNeverSleeps.com. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. I'm here with Logan Reed, my own personal business coach. You know, a lot of people may think this is all a bunch of psychobabble and that kind of thing. But in reality, this is stuff that on the surface may seem like we're going to explore our background, but actually we're just getting really in touch with ourselves to see how we can be more successful. Is that what you try to do with people? It is. So I'm not so interested in what's happened in the past. What I'm looking for is where people are now, where they want to be, and coaching always takes place in the gap. So what are the things, where are the places where they're getting stopped that's in that gap? And then when we move through those, they end up having what they want, whatever their goal is for themselves. Okay, we're all excited about it now. So how do we get involved? How do we get more information about about you and what you're doing? Sure, you can give me a call at 360-529-1848 or email me at logan at loganreadcoaching.com. And you could also check out my website if you want to learn more about me at loganreadcoaching.com. Don't be stupid with your skin, it's the only skin you're in. Know what's good and bad to do, find the right and wrong for you. It's time to learn what it's about, cause indoor tanning is out. UV lamps from a tanning bed, they can turn your skin beet red. Wrinkles come from the UV light, and age spots make you a frightful sight. With UV light, it gets worse. Skin cancer is a wicked curse. Don't be the one that's tanned and dead. Use your brain, use your head. It's time you learn what it's about. Cause indoor tanning is out 
A message from the American Academy of Dermatology. With all the talk of fake news today, it's getting harder to know who to trust. Thousands of websites, millions of opinions, even the mainstream media has gotten caught in dishonest reporting. Now, if you're looking for information you can trust, why don't you try westernfreepress.com. At Western Free Press, they let you know where they stand and you can judge for yourself. No fake news, no feigned objectivity, just straight news and strong opinion. That's westernfreepress.com. Hi, I'm Jet Williams. Even though I never knew my father, Hank Williams, his legacy taught me the meaning of lending a helping hand. That's why I support the Orphan Foundation of America. OFA is committed to providing education, mentoring, and a workplace readiness for thousands of teens aging out of the foster care system. With the help of OFA's support programs, these young people can go to college and trade school, graduate, and make the leap from foster care to success. To learn how you can help, visit Orphan.org. Back for more, Vegas Never Sleeps. Once again, here's Stephen Maggi. With us once again is your Vegas insider, Scott Robin, the mastermind behind VitalVegas.com. I wanted to get your take on something. You haven't written about this, but has this town really become more of a convention town? You know, one time it was just strictly gambling, but I almost think the one thing that separates Las Vegas from all the other places where you can gamble around the world is that it just seems like it's perfect for conventions. Is that what you see? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, the folks who are in charge of deciding what Vegas becomes or what it is, uh, the LVCVA, that's Las Vegas Vis- uh, Convention and Visitors Authority, they have decided that conventions are really important. And I think a lot of the casinos have decided that as well. Uh, the ARIA, Actually, in a rare case, of they actually closed a Cirque Show's Arcana to make room for conventions. They actually knocked down the Riviera to make room for more uh, an expansion of the convention center. So that clearly is what the movers and shakers think is going to drive the economy of Las Vegas moving forward. It's kind of a two, two-tiered thing. There's live entertainment concerts that's driving it, live uh, entertainment such as at the at the uh, T-Mobile Arena, but it, they really have, they're investing a lot in convention space. And that's, that's because even though Las Vegas is a huge place for conventions, we actually lose large conventions because there isn't space for it. So, which is amazing to think about where a convention will bring in 50,000 or 80,000 people and then hearing, well, we lose some conventions because we don't have space. Like that's a because that means there are conventions with hundred thousand people. I mean, that's that's mind-boggling. But obviously, you know, those are and and there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. Like you know, the building of the stadium uh, had to do with div- you know making sure that the funds were diverted away. You know, uh, Sheldon Adelson he wanted to kind of put the kibosh 
on the expansion to the convention space because the Sands Convention Center is his. So there's it, it actually is more than just the superficial aspect of we need more floor space for conventions. The politics and the finances of Las Vegas, there's a lot of moving pieces, a lot of politics and personalities. But there's a lot of money involved, but it's just a very interesting part of Las Vegas now because it's not the most glamorous part. It's not a showgirl. It's not a, you know, a roulette wheel but it's driving a huge number of jobs. It's driving the economy. And ultimately, the LVCBA says, we're going to invest in this because it matters to the future of Las Vegas. Scott has his finger on the pulse of the Las Vegas community, and you can read him anytime at his website at vitalvegas.com. Well, that's it for this weekend. This is Stephen Maggi thanking you for listening and reminding you as well, Vegas never sleeps. We'll see you next week for more excitement and energy from the desert. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Dear Daddy. Dear Mom. I love you. I miss you. I'm proud to call you my father. Every year, Snowball Express honors the children of our fallen military. Heroes who made the ultimate sacrifice for our nation. Hi everybody, I'm Tony Orlando. Did you know that more than 8,500 children have lost a parent in military service since 9-11? Our soldiers died fighting for our freedom, and their children, they continue to suffer the loss. Join me in proudly supporting Snowball Express, a nonprofit charity that creates opportunities to help heal the children of our fallen heroes. Their year-long efforts culminate in a special week of fun, friendship, and hope. We can never fully express the gratitude for the ultimate sacrifice our soldiers have made, but we can honor them by giving back to their children. Please, you join me? Donate now at snowballexpress.org.